Today, I'd like you to turn with me to the 12th chapter of Romans. Pastor George continues our Sermons from Selfies series and examines how context clues in our selfies can tell us a lot about our relationship with each other and with God. Let's listen together. We're currently in the middle of a sermon series called Sermons from Selfies. A couple of weeks ago, we referred to this key verse from the Apostle Paul in Romans 12:3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Sober judgment, a clear mind, a realistic view of ourselves. And one of the ways we do that is to take selfies because we want to see ourselves in a little different way. Standing next to another person can help or hinder in getting a better view of yourself. For instance, sometimes people just seem to fit together in a selfie but sometimes they don't seem to fit at all. Part of the sober judgment we need toward ourselves is seeing ourselves in context, in the context of people, place, and situation. The best selfies are taken from a little distance away so that we can see a bit of the control context. And here's a selfie taken by Clayton Smith, who took a recent trip to visit relatives back east. Now, I know your first response was, cool dude. It was mine as well. But then maybe you looked at the background. Where is Clayton? He's not in Altadena. We see the arch that marks St. Louis, Missouri. And so that's where Clayton is. Needs a riverboat there, so maybe he was doing a little gambling, I don't know. And in the background is the big city. So in context, this looks like our Clayton, but it puts a little different spin on who Clayton is. That's what the context does for us. People who are good at camera tricks and play around with this and like to create a phony context that's misleading. Now, here's what a few girls did with a Coke bottle. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I mean, that's a big gulp. And when people go to exotic places, they like to share the experience with friends. And here's a beautiful exotic place and someone trying to share a selfie. Of course, she's aiming it the wrong direction. <laughs> Our arms aren't long enough, so uh, we, in order to get a good view, we might invest in a selfie stick. And there are longer and longer selfie sticks. I've seen them with multiple extensions so you can hardly see the person in the picture. But we shouldn't push this too far because 
uh, it may get dangerous. Now, here's a guy who put himself at risk. And this seems funny, but I found out that death by selfie is a real thing. And they keep records of people. And a lot of people are taking dares to do a dangerous selfie. We found, not surprising, that 73% of those who die while taking a selfie are men. And that the average age is 23. So a 23-year-old man is a bad investment, young ladies. <laughs> now, sometimes the, the context is so big and confusing that we get lost in the picture. And I think that's the story behind Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo, a kind of phenomenon from the 1990s. I learned that in England, it's Where's Wally and other parts of the world. He's a different person. But in the US, he's mostly where's Waldo. There were games and there were puzzles that used the theme of Waldo. And this guy dressed in a distinctive way and had a what me worry kind of look. And then he was taken in various uh, large crowds. And uh, the large crowd became the context. And you're supposed to find Waldo in there. I did. But it was quite a journey, because there's a lot of confusing things trying to find his red, red and white stripes in there. And this became a phenomenon so that a lot of people back in the 90s, and maybe some of them even today, look around, dressed like Waldo. And there was a Waldo fad, and, and some of them uh, got together, all these Waldos got together in conventions, and they'd get lost in crowded places and challenge their friends to, to find out which Waldo was them. This is a kind of a re reduction to the absurd in which the context totally confuses us. Well, this is how life can be in our search for spiritual meaning, and every human being is on that quest. So how do we avoid all the ways of misjudging ourselves and where we fit into our context. How do we have sober judgment that Paul talks about in Romans? Sober judgment about ourselves. We're going to look at a statement from the Westminster Catechism, which is a, a Christian confession of faith. And a person is asked in the very first question, what is the purpose of man? Now, those of you who grew up in another generation learned it as, what is the chief end of man? We don't talk like that anymore. So it's now, what is the purpose of man? And the answer is, the purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, before we go on, think about this. If you say, what is the purpose of man? Uh, are you excluding women? <laughs> we, you know, years ago, we didn't think that way, but today we think that way. So uh, I had a jokester in seminary suggested that what is the purpose of man is that we are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is the purpose of woman is to glorify her husband and enjoy him forever. But that is definitely not the meaning. This is generic and it's about all of us. What is the purpose of a person? And the answer is the purpose, listen to this, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. 
I think that's a very high calling. It's supported in the Westminster Cate Catechism by scripture, and I'd like to uh, read these scriptures as we continue. So, uh, this is a quote from 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And then um, in, in, excuse me, my fingers don't work. Uh, in Revelation 4, 1, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So again, it's the glory and power to God in that verse. And then in Psalm 73, 25 and 6, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, Philippians 4, 4. So if you grew up in a church, this is basically a what a Presbyterian and Reformed confession, you probably learned this. You were recited it by heart. And if you were asked by the teacher, what is the chief end of man or the purpose of man, your response would be to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And then you would know those verses because that was part of catechism instruction. That really is, you know, stays with you. Um, until uh, you're an old person. You probably can still quote that. I don't think that fully answers the question, though. Because there's a purpose behind the purpose. The, our purpose is not just focused on our relationship with God, as this implies. It's really something bigger behind God's purpose and plan for our lives, there's also a much bigger eternal purpose of God. There is an eternal purpose of God. And it's basically, it's not about you. And it's not about humans. It's about God. It's what God's about. And we have a number of scriptures that tell us about the eternal purpose purpose of God, but curiously, none of them tried to explain what it is. Let me quote for you. First of all, Proverbs 19.21, the human mind may devise many plans, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will be established. Not saying what that is, and it seems to be always a surprise when we find out what that is in our lives. But we don't see the big picture of what that is. Ephesians 3.11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So somehow our salvation through Christ and Christ coming to the world is central to that eternal purpose of God. But what is that to accomplish? What is that to establish? In Romans 8, 28, again, our lives is where he begins. We know that all things work together for good so that we can have a glorious life and people can say nice things about us at our funeral. No. <laughs> all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according 
to his purpose. But again, not defining what that purpose is. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So now, the purpose, we can glimpse into it, we can look through the prism of Christ, but can we put it into words? Can we really say what God's eternal purpose is? I actually want to thank, publicly thank John Swanson for calling my attention to the meaning of a passage in 1 Corinthians 15. And it's a long passage, but I'm going to kind of abbreviate it and skip through. And talking about the resurrection of Christ and people who deny Christ's resurrection, Paul says in verse, in verse 20, 1 Corinthians 15, in fact, Christ has been, been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. Part of something bigger. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made, made alive in Christ. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. That's when we come together at the end of this age. And that's it, right? No, that's not it. There's more. Then comes the end, 24. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now this is, this is so intriguing. He destroyed death in his resurrection and when we are resurrected, that will be a demonstration of the ultimate destruction of death. But death has not yet been destroyed as we have been reminded in our prayer time today. For he must reign until all enemies have been put under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed, be destroyed will be death. Verse 28, when all things, I'm skipping 27, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him so that God may be all in all. Whoa. Maybe this is, maybe this is a hint at God's ultimate purpose. And maybe since he mentions as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Maybe we ought to go back to the book of Genesis and think of the beginning of all things. What was there in the beginning? In the beginning, God. That's what there was. And then it was the creative word. And notice in the creative word, he repeatedly says, and God separated the light from the darkness and there was the first day. And God separated the waters above from the waters beneath. And then he separated the waters 
from the lands. And these separations indicated that the one is dividing himself at, through his creation. So maybe that's what Paul's looking back at. And John kind of gave me a clue at this many years ago. But I've been fascinated by it ever since. Is the eternal purpose of God something that began when God, for whatever reason, decided to splinter himself and not to be the all in all, for whatever reason? Caused him a lot of pain, but, but the fellowship, the reflection of his image, what is it? And then all of creation happened and all that we know from science and astronomy and the whole uh, journey of life on earth and, and our part in it and all of that, that whole eternal purpose of God from all in all, back to all in all, 1 Corinthians 15. So that ultimately God is one again, but, but with a new richness apparently to his being through all of this, through us and everything else. Oh, my mind, you know, I'm, I'm gone. I'm going to try to come back now. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom. Though it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. For our glory? It's all for his glory. But when he does things for our glory, it glorifies him, apparently. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, you try to figure it out. What is the eternal purpose of God? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the human heart conceived. No selfie stick long enough. What God has prepared for those who love him far beyond our images of heaven and eternity, whatever God has prepared for us. And, and, and somehow, through the little glimpses and the little peeks into something far too big for me, I feel like I see that my destiny is not about heaven, but about him. It's that he's prepared us to be part of him in an awesome, unimaginable way. I can't figure this out. But in the light of all this, of all we know about God, about his will and our place in it, as well as what we don't know, how can we take a sober selfie that will govern how we live? So I'm going to show you a slide of your sober selfie and how you can take it. First of all, in the context of your circle of nearness, God gave us family, God gave us friends, God gave us this church family. And this will be a help in defining who you are in a sober way. Good friends tell us the truth. 
Bad friends tell us lies. So your good friends may point out some spinach between your teeth. Bad friends never tell you that. So a sober selfie begins with our circle of nearness, but also a sense of our life destiny. And this is what, what we get from the scripture and far from the realization of our place and the humbleness, the sober judgment, so that we don't have unrealistic ideals for who we can be or unrealistic self-loathing for how we have failed. We just aren't that crucial to whether or not the universe spins. We matter because we're in the context of the whole destiny that our life means. And then our place in the salvation drama, all that Paul has said about how we fit into the family of God, what our role is, the gifts we have, how we minister to one another. This is all great in and of itself. If that were, if that were it, that'd be a wonderful thing. But also, we have a place in whatever God's unimaginable eternal purpose is. Why? I don't know. Selfie sticks don't get long enough. My mind isn't big enough. I'd like to introduce you to William Blake. Well, this is one of his famous engravings. William Blake lived 1757 to 1827. If people know him at all, they know him as an influence in the beginning of the Romantic period in poetry. But he was first, he was from a middle-class family and he was, um, uh, he learned the trade of bookbinding. That's where he started and from that, he learned to print and to do graphics. And so art was his first craft and he did some beautiful engravings to illustrate. But then he started writing along with his illustrations. And his poetry is really powerful. Uh, tiger, tiger, burning bright, that's powerful. There are two hymns in the Anglican hymnal that are all about him. And they're really great. And he wrote a two-volume poem about John Milton, the great poet of Christian faith. Um, all of these things gave him a perspective because he was an artist and a poet and a common person. But he's also, uh, well, I'll tell you what most commentaries say, a little nuts. And right from early in his life, he had visions. And, but the guy was so cogent, so rational, that you can't discount his visions. They all seem to fit into a a sense that he, he was seeing things. He was going beyond. And I tried to find some way of illustrating that. And, and, and this one engraving kind of drew my attention. It is entitled Ancient of Days. And it comes from the scripture as one of the titles for God. Think of the name of that in the context of Israel. Ancient of Days. Go back as many days as there have been, and God is already ancient. He is the ancient of days. You want to imagine eternity? 
I don't have too much trouble imagining eternity future. I can think of life going on, life going on, getting better, hopefully. I can, in my mind, I can embrace that. Eternity past, I can go back to the beginning of history and the beginning of the evidence we have in science of the universe, but there's a point at which I say, there's gotta be something. God started it all, who started God? I mean, how, how can our minds logically get to that? So that's, that's the limitation that we have ourselves, but Blake, he somehow tried to get to those things with his poetry and, and his art, and that's why he was mad. God here is doing something. What he's doing, he has a compass. And he's laying out the universe. He's drawing the orbits for the stars. It's his creation. But God is already ancient. That's what the, forgive the fact that he's male. He's also got a long white beard and hair. And, 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 and it's blowing, almost as if there's a force outside of him blowing. What is that force? Already there's something going on as Blake sees it. And then all those symbols behind him, we lost our picture, but now that's even better. You can go in your mind. There, see, what are, what are those circles and shapes and colors and what? What is all that behind God? That's the context of God's selfie. Oh my, my mind is blown. If, 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 if I were a poet and a graphic artist, I'd put down my pencils and pens, paint brushes, and I would just be overwhelmed. And people would say I'm mad. We try not to think those thoughts. That's why we've been able to live in this world. <laughs> but let yourself, let yourself think that to get a true selfie of who you are, and the meaning of your life, the bigger the context, the more real, the more sober your judgment, that God is an unimaginable God. From all in all to all in all, God includes us. What a selfie. Help us, Lord to take in just a bit of the glimpse of you that William Blake had. Help us to be changed in our view of ourselves, to be more sober, honest, realistic, and to act on that vision of ourselves. To our Lord Jesus Christ who showed us the way. Amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.